0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making theology central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, April the 9th, 2022. It is currently 3.29 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, And guess what is sitting here right right here next to me? Right here next to me, guess what is sitting here? Well, it's it's laying. I guess it should be, what is laying next to me? But that sounds weird because you're like, wait, there's a person laying next to you. There's no one here other than me. I'm the only person. But the thing that is laying here next to me on the table, I'm now picking it up, is my Bible. And it is open to Matthew chapter 24. Yes, we have already done one live broadcast where we have introduced this week's Bible study exercise, and today we take another step forward and what will be probably close to 8 weeks of study in Matthew chapter 24, we are inviting you to participate. I hope that you will, and if you know anyone else out there, who's interested maybe in biblical prophecy or they've talked a lot about Matthew 24 or they've quoted Matthew 24 and they would be interested in an an, an in-depth study of Matthew 24, hearing lots of different perspectives and being really challenged to think, well then please invite them to participate and join in. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to part one. Part one of the Bible study exercises are so important because they really give you all of your main assignments for the study. Now, the Bible study exercises, it's a series of podcast episodes. We have an entire series called Bible study exercises where we take in a passage of scripture and we usually study one passage of scripture for one week. Well, this particular case, it's Matthew 24 for basically eight, uh, probably close to eight weeks. And we really hope a lot of people will participate and that it will be very helpful and beneficial. The Bible study exercises are done in a unique way. I do some teaching, but a lot of it is I kind of just guide you. I kind of just say, here's what I need you to do. And I give you exercises there is curriculum, and if you want to participate, you do the homework, and you can send it to me, newsif at yahoo.com. If you would like access to the curriculum, simply email me, com, and I'll send you a link. It's that simple, and we don't ask anything from you. Just use the uh, curriculum, and hopefully it will be beneficial. So we're going to be talking about the curriculum more. As we move forward, but we're starting this early. Typically, we would introduce a new week of study. Uh, you know, some, sometimes on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, or a Sunday afternoon, we started early because I want to get everyone that we can involved in our study of Matthew 24. Because I, I, it's people quote Matthew 24 so many times, and I believe the quotations are usually taken out of context. And I don't think the average person sitting in the pew really understands exactly how to handle Matthew 24 because of how sloppy it's been handled behind many pulpits. So I, I really hope this proves to be beneficial. Now, I'm going to take just a few minutes to say this, all right? I know I'm doing a lot of—for uh, for a long-time listeners, for those who've been participating in the Bible study exercises for a long time, I know you already know all of this information, uh, but if you look at how many people listen to part one of Matthew 24— we clearly had a lot of new people tune in. So I want to make sure everyone knows all of the basics so that they can actively participate, right? The goal here is for you not to be a passive listener, but an active participant. And so I'm really going to challenge everyone to do this because for Matthew 24, there's going to be lots of live broadcasts done. And I may be sending out notifications about different things related to Matthew 24. I would really challenge you to download the church one app, that's church, O-N-E, church, O-N-E. Once the app is downloaded, do a search for Theology Central, choose us to be your preferred broadcaster, and then basically it becomes the Theology Central app. You'll get notifications when we go live. You'll get notifications when I upload uh, any any sermons or, or podcast episodes, and you'll get notifications when I send out notices. And if you'll once you download the app, go to uh, the section called Feed, and you'll see some of the notices I send out, and you'll kind of get an idea of the type of things I send out, which are typically devotional in nature. They're not notices like "Hey, at six o'clock today, I'm going to be doing this." It's usually some kind of devotional content, and I'll probably will really emphasize Matthew 24 coming up. Over the next six to eight weeks is what we will be doing. So please download that. Now, Matthew 24. I've given you your homework. So far, so far, no one has turned in any any homework, but I hopefully everyone is working on their homework. Here is your homework for Matthew 24. Number one, read Matthew 24 five times. One of those times out loud. Number two, do a chapter summary method on Matthew 24. And remember this, one of the first steps for a chapter summary method is to read the chapter you're studying five times. So that means you're going to read Matthew 24 10 times. Two of those times will be out loud. So read Matthew 24 10 times. Most people will skip this part of a Bible study exercise, but you cannot because, listen, Bible study is all about observation. Everyone wants to do Bible study and jump to interpretation, and that is completely backwards. The quality of your interpretation is based off the quality of your observation. So, Matthew 24, read it five times. Then do a chapter summary method. One of the first steps of the chapter summary method is to read the chapter five times. That means reading it ten times, two times out loud. Number three, I want you to look up what uh, Josephus had to say in regards uh, to 70 A.D. I gave you on part one where to look it up. You can read what Josephus had to write about 70 A.D. You need to become an expert on 70 A.D., you need to know everything that happened 70 A.D. regarding the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. You need to know everything that occurred. I cannot stress that enough. So at least start with reading Josephus's account of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. Right? Number four. I gave you, I told you where to look up. You go to Theopedia, Theopedia, and look up the entry for preterism preterism, and you, well, you summarize everything you learn about preterism. Those are your assignments. Now, what we're going to do today in part two, it's not going to be long, it's going to be pretty short, but hopefully it will be interesting, all right? One of the reasons we are studying Matthew 24 is because Matthew 24 is all, it's quoted time and time again, and sermon after sermon, and article after article, and Bible study guides, and commentaries, whenever the topic of the end times is mentioned. Whenever you talk about the end times, what are the signs of the times? What is the sign of the end times? And you start talking about biblical eschatology, biblical prophecy, Matthew 24 is going to be quoted. And I'm going to demonstrate that today and I'm trying to once again show you why Matthew 24 is so important. But before we do anything, I'm going to once again emphasize something by having you read Matthew chapter 24 and at least verses one through four. Are you ready? Here we go Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read this so many times, you're going to get tired of it. Before the eight weeks are over, you may not have anything in Matthew 24 memorized, but you're going to have verses one through four memorized, all right? In fact, I may I may put uh, Matthew 24, one through four on the Bible memory app for you to memorize. And if you want the Bible memory app, it's free as well. You can just email me. Email me if you need anything, all right? Here we go, Matthew chapter 24. Here we go, number one, verse one. I was going to say number one, Matthew 24, verse one. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. I want to so emphasize this. This occurs while Jesus was on earth. He, his, he has uh, departed from the temple. That is a physical, actual temple that was, that was in Jerusalem. It's not spiritual. It's not figurative. It's not allegorical. It's a real temple with a real Jesus walking out of a real temple. His disciples come to him to show him the buildings, literal buildings. Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? He's pointing to all the buildings for the temple, all the the temple complex. He's looking, he's pointing everything there connected to the temple and the temple. Look at all of these things. There shall not be left there one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He looks at it and says, see? All of this is going to be destroyed. It's all going to be torn down. Verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? I'll stop right there. The disciples want to know, what are you talking about? How are we going to know this is going to happen? They just were told the temple is going to be destroyed, and they're trying to figure that out. Now, you could argue that they asked three things. You could argue. Number one, what shall, when shall these things be? C- referring to the temple. What shall be the sign of your coming? And number three, the end of the world. Now, are they asking these three things as three separate like they're, they're they're and their minds are they like okay three separate things are going to happen the temple your coming and the end of the world are they uh, do they have such a detailed eschatology that in their minds they're separating these things as three separate events or in their minds wait a minute the destruction of the temple that would that would mean the end of everything so, so when is it so in their minds they're just grouping it all together some people like to break it down like they're asking these things in th- three very like you know very broken down di- distinct events in biblical eschatology but that would be making an assumption that the disciples have an eschatology that well formulated to break it down as three separate events we'll talk about more over the next eight weeks but I just want you to see clearly their first Concern is, when is this going to happen? When is this building going to be destroyed? And then Jesus says in verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man shall deceive you. Take heed that no man shall deceive you. Now, for this first week of study, for Matthew 24. I've already given you homework, but I want you to think of all the ways Matthew 24 has possibly been used by teachers, by preachers, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, you name it, Uh, Christian podcasters, Christian uh, broadcasters on Christian television. I don't care where. I want you to think of some ways in which Matthew 24 has possibly been used to deceive people. Jesus is getting ready to describe, well, The events that first and foremost have to be understood in relationship to the destruction of that temple. And we know exactly when that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. He's getting ready to say, here is how you know 70 AD is coming. But from that, people have taken it and done all kinds of things with it. So it's just interesting that Jesus begins before he does anything else, before he immediately goes to the when and what's going to happen and the signs. He's like, take heed so that no man deceive you. I wonder how many people have been deceived because of the mishandling and twisting of Matthew 24. I want you to really think about that because I've heard Matthew 24 quoted so many times in my Christian life. And, so, and every time I'm like, what? Whoa, wait, wait what, are you, what are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing? Take heed that no one deceive you. I want you to take heed of all of the deception. Uh, and I want you to just think about all the different ways you've heard Matthew 24 used. I-, I want you to just think about that because that's going to demonstrate to you why this is so important these next eight weeks or ever. A- you know what? I'm not even going to put a timeline. We may get done earlier. We may get done later. For however long it takes, we're going to study Matthew 24. All right? The curriculum gives us a specific amount of time, but we're already starting early. So we're adding a week to it. And if we need to add another one, we will. It's all going to be based on people's questions, struggles, difficulties, and just how things go. But we will, we're will we going to do the work. I guarantee you that. All right. Apologize, had to cough. So here we go. Here's what we're going to do. Or I say, what time was it? Um, I don't even know what time it was, but I saw a notification on my iPad. And it said, positive and negative spiritual signs... Of the end times. And I'm like, well, wait, what, what? So let me look at this. So I clicked on it. And it was an article posted at crosswalk.com. Positive and negative spiritual signs of the end times. Now, my first thought was, oh, you know what? I'll just, I'll go upstairs, do a live broadcast, and I'll just report on this article, positive and negative spiritual signs of the end times. Everyone should benefit from that. That should be an interesting discussion. But then immediately when I started looking in there, guess what I find? You guessed it, Matthew 24 quoted. And then immediately what came to my mind is, take heed, take heed. I'm gonna read it again, Matthew 24, verse four. Take heed that no man deceive you. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put this for our Matthew 24 study because what a great way to begin at these early stages of our study to just show you how an article that's been just recently published handles Matthew 24. And we're going to ask some questions about it. So are you ready? All right, here we go. We're going to work through this article. Crosswalk.com, Positive and Negative Spiritual Signs of the End Times. Right underneath that, they have this really cool picture it's the it's the planet Earth from space, right? And you see part of the globe looking normal. You've got the water, you've got the land. And then on the other half of the globe, it's all fire. Like it's all burning up. It's all being destroyed, right? So it's just the end times, the destruction of everything, right? Well, when you see a picture like that, well, I want to know the signs of the end times. Don't you? Don't you want to know? I mean, if everything's going to blow up, if everything's going to be destroyed, I want to know those signs, I think everyone would want to know those signs. That's why there's always so much curiosity about it. But if they're going to quote Matthew 24, take heed, let no man deceive you. Here we go. This article clearly was written to answer someone's question. So it begins with someone asking a question. And here is the question I quote. When I think of the signs of the end times, I usually focus on the outward, visible signs. I'm familiar with what the Bible says about what will happen in nature, like oceans turning to blood, earthquakes, nuclear holocaust, and the Battle of Armageddon. But too often, I think we we all neglect the fact that there are spiritual signs as well, maybe because they're not taught or discussed nearly as often. Could you please help me understand the spiritual signs leading up to the end times? Now, let's stop right here. First, interesting question. What are the spiritual signs? Okay, that's fascinating. But please note, he mentioned one of the signs of the end times, one of the visible, not spiritual, but one of the visible signs of the end times. This person even mentioned earthquakes. I have to just... I just once again have to drive this point home. Do you realize how just nonsensical that is? Earthquakes is a sign of the end times. I want you to look up how many earthquakes have happened on planet Earth since, say, 30 AD. All right, See if you can get even, a, a, even an estimation of how many earthquakes there have been. Earthquakes is something that is common They happen all the time. There are big ones. There are small ones. And when you have something that's just happening and happening, it's been going on. 40 AD, 50 AD, 60 AD, 70 AD, 80 AD, 90 AD, 100, 110, 120, 200, 300, 500, 1,000s, 1,300s, 1,500s, 1,800s, 1,900s, the 2,000s, the 2,010s. It's just earthquakes, 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 earthquakes. When you say, that's that's a sign of the end of the times, it just becomes meaningless. Well, there's been earthquakes. There's been hundreds of earthquakes, hundreds. So do you realize that, that, that how is that a sign anymore? How is that a sign anymore? But people will, as soon as an earthquake happens, see, 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 this is a sign of the time. And guess where they typically quote? Guess where they typically quote? Let me see if I can uh, find it for you, all right? Uh, because it happens all the time. Uh... Okay, here we go. Matthew twenty four verse seven: For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. Immediately, someone will quote Matthew twenty four seven. Now, just look at the things mentioned: nation against nation. How many times since? Let's go to thirty A.D. Since thirty A.D., how many nations have risen against nation? How frequently is that? Does that occur? All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, Famines, how many famines have there been since 30 AD? Pestilences, how many pestilences have there been since 30 AD? And earthquakes, how many earthquakes have there been since 30 AD? Like all of those signs to say they're the signs of the end times make them into in, completely meaningless. So that's why I immediately, wait a minute. Is that for the end times, or are those signs for the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D.? So then it would be Jesus mentioning this, what, 32 A.D., 33 A.D.? Jesus gives these signs, so you have between 33 A.D. and 70 A.D. Well, those signs would be very important, be able to figure out. 33 to 70 A.D., that's a limited amount of time, so then you could be like, okay, oh, wait, we've got some wars going on. We've got this going on. All right. Okay, something's getting ready to happen. And then boom, 70 A.D. occurs. The temple is destroyed. And you're like, fulfillment. I'm not saying everything in Matthew 24 was fulfilled there. But clearly, we've got to learn to read this. Jesus is giving the signs for the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Right. So I just I think it's interesting that this person is confident that they know the signs of the end times, at least physically, at least visibly. And then he mentions earthquake, which to me indicates, are you sure you really know the signs of the end times? Because earthquakes have been going on forever. So it's like, you know, I'm just going to throw out a hypothetical number. 10,000 earthquakes have occurred. But the next one, that's the sign of the end times. (laughs) Do you just see how utterly ridiculous that that gets? It makes us look really crazy. But all right. So the person responds, I'd be most happy to do that. Here we go. They're going to give us the spiritual signs of the end times. How is Matthew 24 going to show up here? Here we go. Many today are preaching about the signs of the times. Yet the world continues to scoff at the message of Christ. They don't want to hear the truth, and they certainly don't want to change their behavior for anything. 2 Peter 3, 3 3-8, or 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and verse 8, you must understand this, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own passions, thank you. All right, okay, well, yes, there's been scoffers, there's been scoffers, so Again, how do you, you, is it the number of scoffers? Okay, we could get into discussion. The prophet Jeremiah also tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked. The result is that mankind usually ignores the signs of God. For example, Noah's preaching fell on deaf ears. The testimony and miracles of Christ fell on deaf ears. Even when people watch in horror as a sign is fulfilled before their eyes, many refuse to believe the signs and repent. Instead, they curse God. Revelation sixteen eight through 9, the fourth angel poured his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch men with fire. Yet they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent. As followers of Christ, the Bible encourages us to watch the signs of the times and preparation for Christ's return. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4, Jesus will come like a thief in the night, but you aren't in darkness for that day for that day to surprise you like a thief. So, read the signs and be ready. Jesus is coming like a thief. First, notice that these spiritual end-time signs involve the perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here are four negative spiritual signs that will herald the Lord's return. Now, here what they say. Here are the signs. Here are the signs that's going to prove Jesus is about to return. It's going to prove we're in the end times. And guess what the very first one is? Guess what the very first one is? Come on, come on. Tell me, tell me. I'm, I'm saying it like I'm sitting in church. What do you think? What do you think? I don't know if anyone's listening live, but if you're listening live, you can jump into the chat if you're using the Spreaker app. Okay, Matthew 24, 11 is the first one they use. Matthew 24. So once again, take heed so that no man deceive you. Here. Someone's asking, what's the sign of the end times? And immediately, it's Matthew 24. Here we go. Here's what, Matthew 24, 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Many false prophets are going to arise and deceive many. And that's supposed to be a sign for the end times how many false prophets have there been since 32 ad how many false prophets i mean can we even count all of the false teaching and false prophets and and heretical teaching that the early church had to fight against just go back in church history and read about the first seven ecumenical councils. I mean, they had to fight all kinds of heresies. We could go through each. There was Christological heresies, heresies against the Godhead, heresies about Christ, well, Christological heresies, there were heresies about everything you can imagine, and they had to fight and fight and fight and fight against them. So how in the world is this a... Okay, how do you know the end times are getting close? There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false teachers. That's been going on forever ever. How is that a sign of the end times? You see, it just becomes a, a meaningless. It's like when you say, okay, what's the sign? What's the sign of, of, I don't know you, that I'm going to win a million dollars. Okay. What is the sign? Well, the wind's going to blow. Well, the wind blows continuously. Yep. That's the sign. Well, That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> The false prophets, it just becomes meaningless. There's been, there's continually, there's never a time where there aren't false teachers and false prophets. So now, again, let's go back. If you say that Matthew 24, its first thing it's supposed to answer is the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, then all you have to do is like, okay, so from the time of basically Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection false preachers, false teachers were going to emerge. So you have 33 AD to 70 AD, and you can see the rise of the false teachers in that short period of time. That would make some sense. But from 33 AD to 2022, and false preachers is the sign of the end times, then it's literally, the sign has never not been present. They go to Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14, woe unto you, or and that's Matthew 23, uh, uh, Matthew 24, 14, and the gospel of the, uh, see, oh, Matthew 24, 24, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, 24, I was like, wait a minute, that's a whole different thing that we're going to have to talk about um, this week or this coming next eight weeks. Matthew 24, 24, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, and so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Matthew 24, 24, again, false teachers are going to do signs and wonders. There's been, uh... okay, that's a good point. Uh, someone just pointed out that if you take some of the, the, the supposed signs of, of, the, end, of, the, of the, you know, the end that people point to, the people that lived during the Holocaust had more reason to believe they were near the end than any of us. That is true. I mean, if you lived through World War I or World War II, the whole world is at war. It's chaos. It's destruction. It's nuts. And then if you think about the the, especially if, if even if after you get through the, well, the, if you go back to the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, look at all the false. Cults that begin to emerge. The, you find the emergence of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Mormonism. You can just go on and on and on. The, the whole charismatic chaos that erupts in the early 1900s. One is Pentecostals. We can go on and on and on and on. Y- you, you can look at different periods of time and you're like, there's an explosion of false teachers. The world is at war. There's chaos. There's death. There's destruction. Hitler is destroying an entire race of people. You can look at everything that's going on and you'll be like, this is the the end. That's the end. But because everyone runs to these signs without any context to Matthew 24, I'm going to st- state it again. Matthew 24 is there. It records the answer that Jesus gives when he is asked about the temple. Matthew 24 is there recording the answer Jesus gave when he is, the answer Jesus gave when he was asked about the destruction of the temple that he foretold hey, this is all going to be destroyed. And they're like, when is this going to happen? And then he starts giving the sign. And the first sign is, take heed so so no man deceive you. And I think from the moment he said, take heed so that no man deceive you, Christians started deceiving themselves with Matthew 24. All right, so here we go. It says, sure enough. So they quote Matthew 24, 11, Matthew 24, 24. Then the article goes on to say, sure enough. The landscape today is polluted with false prophets, both inside and outside of the Christian faith. For example, outside the Christian faith, we find Hindus, Buddhists, Taoists, thousands of other non-Christian religions that pervert, replace, or contradict God's word. This isn't a statement of intolerance, as our culture would claim. It's it's simply the truth according to the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now stop right here. How long has Hinduism been around? How long has Buddhism been around? How long has Taoism been around? Like you, you look at some of these, like these are not like new concepts, but again, the, the first sign that they give is false prophets will lead many astray. And the first thing they point to is Matthew 24, 11 and Matthew twenty four twenty four, saying false teachers, false teachers. That's going to be the proof. And then, okay, we have little trouble seeing uh, these for what they are, but the real danger is when they're within the church. These false prophets use Christian language and Christian symbols, but they do not know or profess Jesus Christ, who said, I'm the only way to God. Witness some of the things taught in the name of Christ that are not true. All right, they mention Jehovah's Witnesses. They mention Mormons, and they mention Unitarians. Okay, well, how long has Jehovah's Witnesses been around? How long has Mormonism been around? Like, I mean, they, they're they like, hey, these are the signs of the end times. And then they immediately go way, 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 way back to the to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism and Unitarians. All right. So, I, I that is just so interesting that, that they, and again, what's their proof? Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is their proof. Well, wait a minute. What if it's possible that Matthew 24, what if it's possible that these verses are first and foremost about what was going to happen between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension to the Father, and what was going to happen between that and 70 AD? That all of these things were going to be pointing them to, hey, the destruction of the temple is coming. That would make sense. If you limit the time period, then these signs have some kind of meaning. They have some kind of weight. If you just generically say, okay, how do you know the, what, what signs are you looking for to know the end is coming, is getting near? False teaching, false false prophecy, and hey. it's false prophets. You, you just realize how utterly meaningless that becomes. And then, and then even here they point to, we, we could look up the, the dates for all of these, but I would just challenge you to do it on your own. Instead of, instead of taking the time here, look up the, the origins of Jehovah's Witnesses, Okay, get the year, the, or, the uh, origin of Mormonism, Bible study exercise, so it makes sense for me to give you some homework to do. Look up the origin of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Unitarians, um, Buddhist, Taoist, and Hindus, or Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormonism, and Unitarianism. Just, just write down the date for each one of those. Okay, how long ago, we're in 2022 for crying out loud, and 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 we could go and way before them. You have Pelagius, you have Pelagius making all of his fraudulent claims about man's nature and not being infected and infected by total depravity. Well, and we go, we could go even further than that. We go back to Arius. We could go back to you know, oh the uh, we, we I could go through a heresy after heresy after heresy, going all the way back to the 200s, 300s of, of early church history. I mean, the New Testament, every letter written to a church, for the most part, is going against some false teacher, uh, false teaching. Judy, uh, uh, the Judaizers, Gnosticism. I mean, literally, from the very beginning, that's been the case. So I don't know how, like, so how do I know the end, the end times near? False teaching. Well, any reasonable person like, but that's been going on since biblical times. Yep, that's the sign right there. That's that's the sign. <laughs> what does that even mean? Matthew twenty four. Well, wait a minute. Matthew twenty four is Jesus answering a question about the destruction of the temple. Exactly. But it, it's a what? Hey, take heed, lest no man deceive you. All right. What's the second big thing? Here's the second thing. A worldwide revival of Satanism will occur. So according to them, the second big sign, the first one is false teaching. The second one is a worldwide revival of Satanism is going to occur. That's how you know the end is near. A worldwide revival of Satanism. Now, I am really, really interested here and how they define Satan. Are you defining Satanism as someone who's a member of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey, the Satanic Bible? Are you just giving Satanism a a more generic definition? Let's see what they have to say here. Satan has ruled the world through deception since the fall, and his rule will intensify as during the end times. Now they quote 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the Spirit's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right, That's going back to the Church of Corinth. Way before 2022, they quote Mark 13:22: For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Let's go to Mark 13 really quick. Let's go to Mark 13. Mark thirteen. Please note where they are borrowing Mark thirteen twenty two. Look look what they do here. Okay, please note here's the context. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what men are of stone and what building here uh, and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then they ask, when is this going to happen? And Jesus says, take heed, lest any man deceive you. This is the same account. So they run to Mark 13:22 saying, "Hey, the proof of the end times, the sign of the end times is a worldwide revival of satanism," and they quote Mark 13:22. Wait a minute. That's dealing with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. We're right back to the same problem. <laughs> It's just—it's so crazy. Then they go on to say, "Think carefully about Satan's deceptive powers in the garden. If he could—if de- he could deceive perfect Eve, think what he can do with us. Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." Second Timothy three thirteen. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, don't let anyone deceive you in a way for that day will not come until a rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now, we would have to look at 2 Timothy 3.13 and 2 Thessalonians 2.3, but the goal of this episode is to just show you that even when they're not quoting Matthew 24, they still will reference the same account recorded in the other gospel, and so they borrowed from Mark 13.22. Once again the question is how much of Matthew 24 how much of Mark's account how much of that is primarily focused on giving you the signs for the destruction of the temple in 70 AD you have to figure that out or people will use it to deceive you All right um they go on to say um you may notice you may notice that we hear <clears throat> if I can read this correctly. You may notice that we hear of overt demonic battles in third world countries. Spiritual warfare is obviously engaged there. You may wonder why we don't see the same manifestations in America. The answer is simple. Satan doesn't need to bring out his big guns against American Christians. He already has us trapped in materialism. And don't miss this. Satan is also reading the signs of the times. He's launching his last great ego trip, uh, which Revelation says will reach its high point during the rule of the earth through his possessed pulpit, the alt, the Antichrist. Satan is bold and brazen in his deceptions. He thinks he can win the final battle. He cannot. So their second sign is a worldwide revival of Satanism, but they don't really define exactly what that is, what that looks like. And if it's a worldwide revival, it would have to be America. But then they make an excuse why we're not seeing supposedly this in America, which then absolutely destroys the point that they just made that it's going to be worldwide. So I don't really know what in the world they're doing with this. But again, they quote from a verse, well, that's connected to Matthew 24, which is about Jesus giving an answer about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. I don't understand why this is so complicated to so many Christians. I do. I really don't. The, the co- now, let me make it very clear. I don't know why it's complicated to many Christians to understand that you have to first see this in light of 70 AD. I do understand the complication that arises through going through Matthew 24 and going, well, wait a minute. So, does that have any future implication? Or was that completely done in Matthew 20? I can understand that disagreement. The fact is so many Christians just ignore 70 AD as if it's irrelevant to the text. That's what the answer is all about, right? Number three, here's the third sign. Many will fall away from Jesus and commit apostasy. They have Luke 8, 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. Jesus also said those who endure to the end shall be saved. That's Revelation 3.10. In other words, Jesus was saying that those who navigate the end days will make it through the end times. Placed in historical context, Revelation 3.14-19, through 19, Jesus, show, Jesus shows us the state of the church during the end times. It's not a very pretty picture. Jesus said that the church at Laodicea was lukewarm. It was neither hot nor, hot nor cold. So he was about to spit it out of his mouth. The church is wretched poor, blind, and naked. Yes, it thinks it is rich. The church is so apostate that Christ is on the outside looking in, and this is the type of church that will exist when Jesus Christ returns. Now, I do think there's a lot to talk about here, and I do think it's very relevant. I do believe, I do believe this. Yes, I believe that if we take other passages of Scripture, the church is going to be a complete, utter train wreck when we get to the end times, and that Christians may not even have a place I don't even know what—I I think true Christianity will exist outside of the church because the church is going to be a mess, and when I say the church, I'm speaking of a corporate body church. Obviously, Christians are still Christians. They're still the body of Christ. You get what I'm trying to say. Hopefully you do. But, I, I yeah, I, I do agree with this, all right? Um. So they go, and then number four. Then they go to number four. Many false Christ will arise, and then guess what they go back to? They go to Matthew 24. <laughs> They go back to, almost every one of these, they cite Matthew 24 as the sign of the end times, all right? So Matthew 24, Jesus says, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. If we go back in the historical record, it appears that there were false prophets and false messiahs that appeared before 70 AD and we, and we will look at some of those accounts uh, and go, wait a minute. So that would, that would fit the destruction of the temple. But interesting enough, they quote Matthew 24. Uh, Then they say, uh, so those are the negative signs. Now they say the, uh, the positive signs are these, the true church will make herself pure and holy as the bride of Christ. Now, I, I don't know exactly how that works, the church is going to become apostate, but one of the positive signs is that the true church will make herself pure and holy as the bride of Christ. So I guess the corporate church is going to be messed up, and I guess the true church will be those outside of the corporate church. I, I, I don't know. And they, they quote Revelation 19, which is really problematic there. Yeah, they do. Okay, yeah, this article is a train wreck of, of, of biblical eschatology, but we won't get into all of that. Then number two. There will be a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, they quote from the book of Joel, we could have all kinds of issues here. Um, yeah, this almost seems to indicate there's going to be a, a revival. So I, I don't I don't know. We can skip that. Number three: the gospel will be preached to all nations, then the end will come. The gospel will be preached to all nations, then the end have come. And guess why They quote again, they quote Matthew 24, again, Matthew 24, 14. And the gospel of the kingdom will be, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. They quote Matthew 24, verse 14. And I think that's the last one they quote. Let me see if I can go back here. Um, I think, is that the last verse they quote? Okay, hang on. The article is loading. Here we go. Here we go. I think it's the last one they quote. I don't know why this article is having so many problems all of a sudden. If I can get it to load. All right, here we go. What I may have to do, I don't know why it won't load all of a sudden. You see here, okay, hopefully we're not losing a Yeah, I believe that's the last one. I don't know why it won't show me the whole thing. Oh, here we go. Now it's showing me the whole thing. All right, uh, I think that, yeah, that's it. So if you look at it, Matthew 24 is quoted in this article as signs for the end times. It is quoted here. Let me see. Now, let's see. One, two, three, the Mark 13, 22 is really a quote from Matthew 24. So there's three times. Uh, see here. Four times. So I think it's referenced four times, five times. It's referenced five times. So five times they reference Matthew 24 as this is the, these are the signs for the end times, not for the sign for the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, but to the future end times. This is why we're studying Matthew 24, and this is why I find it so important. Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, they just asked the question, hey, when are all these things going to happen? Referring to the destruction of the temple. And Jesus says, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you you i want everyone to write that down what if you're if you're using a separate notebook just for your Matthew 24 study i want you to write down take heed lest no man deceive me i want you to write that down take heed so that no man deceive me make it personal make it about you don't be deceived jesus didn't want them to be deceived he doesn't want you to be deceived people take Matthew 24 and use it constantly and, and every single time, in fact, I will argue 90% of the, 90%, I think that's probably fair, maybe even higher, of all the times I re- see Matthew 24 referenced in a, it can be something on social media, and a blog post, and an article on Christian radio, a Christian podcast, or even in sermons, well, almost, almost all the time, 70 AD is not even mentioned it, 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 this is this is how bad it. This is how irritating it it makes it makes. This really makes me mad. If I take all the sermons I heard referencing Matthew twenty four from the time I became a Christian, I didn't even know about seventy A.D. until I learned about it in a secular school. I didn't even know about anything about seventy A.D. I learned it in a history class. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Okay, wait, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed? And then I started p- putting the pieces together. I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then I'm like, whoa. And so I was a little confused at first, a little perplexed. And I didn't, it, it took me a while to try to put the pieces together. And then I'm like, wait a minute. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's giving them the signs for the destruction of the temple. Then I ended up reading Josephus and I'm like, here's Josephus. And I can't remember the exact timeline of how it all fit together. But there was a period of time where I heard Matthew 24 quoted by Christians and in church and even sermons preached on Matthew 24. But it was all telling me, look for these signs. And I was like, okay, look for, man, the end times are coming. The end times, and they would t- they would they would take Matthew twenty four, and then they would they would read like articles from the news, and I would be like, "Man, Jesus is getting close. Jesus is getting close. Jesus is getting close." And then I realized, uh, wait, why wouldn't didn't anyone teach me about seventy A.D. At the very least, you would have to say seventy A.D. Here are the signs that clearly pointed to seventy A.D. And then from there, but I'll. Christians get mad. I even just, I call this into question at all and I'll get emails going, I don't know. You're, you just, you don't understand biblical prophecy. It can have a past fulfillment and a future. I under, no, you're right. I don't understand that. I do understand that. The problem is everyone ignores the past fulfillment. (laughs) That's the problem. And we immediately want to grab it and go, okay, that may have had a past fulfillment. I don't really care. Oh, future. But some of these signs, mean nothing for a future fulfillment because they've been happening since before 70 AD and they've never stopped happening. So when something is happening hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times, at some point you're like, that stopped being a sign, right? That stopped being a sign. And I, and people get upset when I say that, but I don't know why you would get upset. Just any logical person would be like, so the sign is the wind blowing. The wind, bl- the wind was blowing yesterday. The wind is blowing today. The wind will be blowing tomorrow. The wind has been blowing for thousands of years. How is that a sign? There's going to be rain. There's been rain continual, like, you know, it, it, there's going to be an earthquake. It, all There's going to be war. There's going to be famine. All of those things have been going on and on over and over and over and over. You can't say that they're a sign of the end times because they've been going on continually. But if you put them between 33 A.D. and 70 A.D., then the signs become significant. We have to first figure out how much of this applies to 70 A.D., and you shouldn't be afraid to do that i don't know why christians get sensitive about that like, well, but but you're going full blown preterism no i'm not going full blown anything i'm going full blown i don't know reading comprehension and and like wait a minute that's what this is talking about hey, hey it's almost like that they think what jesus did is hey i'm not even going to answer your question i don't even care about 70 ad right this the, i'm going to give you the signs of things well, it has nothing to do with any of you. You're all going to be dead. So really, I'm not giving you any answers. Like, hey, like Jesus basically gave them no answers because all those signs had nothing to do with them. They died a long time ago. The, the Christians who were telling me this in the 80s, many of them are dead. It didn't have anything to do with them. Or these signs literally had something to do with the people who were living at that time for, to an event that was going to occur between 33 A.D. leading up up to 70 A.D. There you have it. All right. I want to at least get us started, or not not advance this a little bit and show you why. Take heed, lest no man deceive you. What we need to do is ensure that no one is going to be deceived anymore by wrong application and wrong handling of Matthew 24. That needs to come to an end because I'm tired of hearing it and seeing it. All right, now, I have to hurry up and leave because someone wants me to come to their church to see their new streaming setup, uh, which we did. We talked about earlier today, uh, audio versus video someone literally wants me to come see it. So I'm going to go see it and it, it looks really, really, really nice. I can't wait to see, see the setup, but again, it's like uh, the whole video question, but I'm getting ready to get ready to go do that. And then I'm going to be back this evening. I got sermon prep to do. I'm missing out on all the baseball today. Um, but, um, We'll probably do a live broadcast at least one more before the day is over, so we'll see. All right, but there you have it. Hey, do your homework, Matthew twenty-four. Get busy, people in Discord channel. Let's start talking Matthew twenty-four. Let's do it. Let's make it happen, and uh, let's 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 read that section from Josephus. And I think what we're going to do, I think I'm going to delete all the verses in the Bible Memory app. I'm going to wipe them all out, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna the first one. I think we're going to memorize. I said I'm going to make you read, uh, memorize verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to make you memorize verse 4 right now, Matthew 24, 4. And Jesus answered, because I want you to know that Jesus is answering a specific question, unto them, he's answering the disciples who were alive at that time, and he says, take heed that no man shall deceive you. He doesn't want them to be deceived because people are going to be deceived about what the signs are going to be. And I think then that can be clearly applied to us because we can be deceived as well. So we'll we'll get that all set up. And if you want to know how to use the Bible Memory app, uh, email me. It's free. And you can download the app and start memorizing Scripture. All right. And I'll use the notices for the Church One app as well to send out. Memorize Matthew 24, 14. I will send that, or Matthew 24, 4. I'll send that out in the notices as well. So we're going to use all the technology to get everyone involved in this. All right, Matthew 24. Thanks, uh, Will, for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. I know it's a Saturday. You probably got other things to do and uh, everyone have a great day. I got to get ready. All right. God bless.